<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And the East Coast girds for Hurricane Florence heading our way, and people are moving out. Hey, what do you say, everybody? It's Tuesday, Tuesday, a very fateful Tuesday, Tuesday, September 11. Good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. It is the Bill Press Show, and we got a lot to talk about, as always. Never a dull day in Trump world. As uh, we found out again yesterday, not a dull world, not a dull day when uh, Omarosa, appearing on The View, releases yet another tape where uh, Donald Trump sort of conspiring with uh, Kellyanne, uh, Hope Hicks, rather, and Sarah Sanders about how they can blame all the Russian investigation on who else? On Hillary Clinton. Of course, of course, of course. And yes, indeed, massive evacuations underway in North Carolina, in South Carolina, in Virginia, and even up in Maryland, where uh, Hurricane Florence expected to hit the mainland at a very uh, dangerous Category 4 level sometime Thursday evening hitting uh, shore, but we will see feel the effects of Hurricane Florence along before that. Indeed, CNN out with a new poll that shows that Donald Trump's approval rating, even among independents, are at an all-time low and on the day that the EPA announces it is going to relax rules for yet another greenhouse gas for methane and make it easier to pump methane into the atmosphere, Jerry Brown in California signs a bill putting California on the path to live up to the Paris Accords. Uh, California will, even if the United States does not. So much to talk about. You want to jump in, of course, as always, send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Join the fun. Be part of the program. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Well, it's that time of year. Uh, Apple is expected to unveil some new iPhones. Oh, no. Uh, tomorrow <laughs> is going to be their big event, and it looks like they're going to release three 
new iPhones. Dana Wolman, the uh, editor of Engadget, explains. We do expect to see not only one new iPhone, but actually as many as three, according to the rumor mill. So one of the things that they're saying is they're going to unveil a more affordable version of their iPhone X, right? Because the iPhone X that they uh, released last year will cost you at least $1,000 if you want to get one. So they're saying that's obviously a lot of money. Not everybody can pay that. And so they're going to try and make an affordable, more affordable option. They also said that they're going to get rid of the home button, the little, you know, circle button at the bottom of your iPhone that takes you everywhere you want to go. Uh, so we will find out the details. How can they? Tomorrow. Well, it's Apple. They could do whatever they want to do. Well, I know, but I mean, I go everywhere on the home button. Well, you're going to, you're going to have to figure out a new way to do it. Is there is the way that they're going to sort of sell it, and whether it's voice activated or. Some different sort of navigation. We'll just have to wait and see. It'll be, we have no idea. It better be easy. It right? better be easy. Gotta it be. better be intuitive. Yes, yeah. I would I would agree with that. I mean, I trust them. They don't screw up much, but, you know, it just seems to me that that's a big leap. I don't know. A scandal in the New York Democratic primary yesterday. I want to be very, very clear. <laughs> I don't want to shame anybody about what they eat, but Cynthia Nixon yesterday put in her breakfast order. It was locks, capers. And red onion on a cinnamon raisin bagel. And people lost their minds. People lost their minds. And I love a food-driven news cycle, so uh, whatever. But people were perplexed. It's kind of okay, but I would want it on an onion bagel myself. Fair. But that's the whole point. That's the whole point. The cinnamon raisin bagel is what people were losing their minds over. I can see the sweet, the savory working. Yeah. I don't have a major problem with it, but people lost their minds. Really? Uh, Yeah. Andrew Cuomo attack her for it? Andrew Cuomo did not say anything about it that I saw, but lots (laughs) of people online were saying this is a terrible, terrible order. Uh, I don't think it's such a bad order. I'm not going to shame anybody for, for their food order. This is the Bill Press Show. Florence is coming, batting down the hatches. Yeah, that's the dominant story on the East Coast, at least today. Not the dominant story nationwide. The dominant story nationwide is September 11 and the remembrance of those horrific events events of 17 years ago. And I particularly remember uh, my friend Barbara Olson, who lost her life on the the flight that crashed into the Pentagon that day. Some 3,000 people lost their lives in those direct terrorist attacks on U.S. soil. So we reflect on the meaning of September 11. And thank you for joining us today on this Tuesday with a lot to talk about. Also, with the, the, the witch hunt at the White House continues, in fact, escalates new rules adopted down at the White House for how to deal with cell phones to try to keep anybody else from recording, <laughs> making recordings like Amorosa did when she was there uh, of John Kelly. Um, meanwhile, um, the president uh, is determined and even considering a lie detector, lie detector test to find out who wrote that op-ed uh, in the New York Times. Uh, Amorosa out with a new tape yesterday where uh, Donald Trump trying to pin blame for, the Rus- for the con- any collusion with Russia on the Hillary Clinton campaign. And EPA, EPA in, has uh, 
about to issue, they announced yesterday, going to be issuing new rules that will make it easier for corporations, oil and gas operations, particularly to pump methane into the air. So you see, the same kind of stuff continues at EPA, even without Scott Pruitt. It's just done with a little less pizzazz, a little less controversy, uh, which makes it maybe even more deadly. Yeah. Uh, good to have you with us today. And remember, we look forward to hearing from you and your comments on the news of the day on Twitter uh, at BP Show. Yes, Florence is coming. Florence is coming. And the governors of the uh, coastal states on the East Coast here are, they don't want to be caught flat-footed. They are issuing orders right now, two days ahead of time, to get the hell out of harm's way. Uh, over a million people in the coastal areas of South Carolina and North Carolina, uh, in addition to a little maybe lesser alarm yet in Virginia and Maryland, but North Carolina and South Carolina ordering a mandatory, mandatory evacuation from the coastal areas. I don't know how far inland, Peter, do you know? I mean, you're South Carolina, but... Yeah, so one of the interesting (laughs) things I I saw last night, I was watching Rachel Maddow, and this is something that's not new to me, but new to a lot of people who are paying attention. Uh, So Interstate 26 comes off of uh, 95 on on the East Coast, which everybody knows. And one of the things that they do when these storms are coming is they open up both lanes... both lanes of traffic. All lanes they, of traffic go out of the coast. They reverse it. Yeah. They reverse it so that, uh, yeah, it's only one, it's a one-way street. It's a one-way street. You, can, you can't come right. in, you can't go down to the low country and yeah. the coastal areas. You can only leave. So mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> east and west are all going away from the coast. You're, go, you're all going west at this point. And uh, it, it's about, like, to get to 95 from Charleston to those areas, right, like, it's about an hour or so uh, driving. And so I'd say if you're uh, anywhere from like an hour away from the coast, they want you to get away from it. Right. I was talking to my okay. parents last night, and they're they're going to ride it out. They're going to All stay. Right. So uh, city of Charleston, which your hometown. Yeah. Uh, but I know pretty well. Is Charleston low country? Oh, yeah. So the city of Charleston will have to evacuate? Yep. The entire, the entire city. City of Charleston? Yep. All those restaurants, all those businesses, all those shops. There's actually a great piece uh, in yesterday's yesterday's Post and Courier, which is a great uh, (laughs) newspaper serving the Charleston Yes, it is. Uh, And they said that the the restaurant situation in Charleston is already at sort of like a perilous point because they built up so many so fast. And you're about to get this point where people are going to be pushed away. Tourism is going to obviously take a hit. And, you know, and also... Downtown Charleston now, this has been one of the big issues that the current mayor, John Tecklenburg, has taken on because, and a part of this has to do with with rising uh, waters, Mm -hmm. it floods in an instant, downtown Charleston. And one of his big issues is trying to figure out how to get all the water out of there when it does flood because it turns into just this stagnant, nasty situation. And so... If any amount of rain comes, you've got a problem. But if a hurricane comes, and Charleston right. hasn't been tested mm-hmm. this way in a little while, uh, it's going to be very bad. Right. Uh, so we're looking at, um, um, and you always wonder when these steps are taken ahead of time, whether it turns out that they were necessary or not. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, you don't want to wait until, pardon me, the hurricane hits to respond. 
Uh, we've seen that problem, uh, of course, uh, down in New Orleans. Um, but we're talking about Category 4, winds up to 140 miles an hour. Uh, due to hit, the last I saw just a few minutes ago, uh, scheduled to hit the mainland uh, to make landfall at about 11 p.m. Thursday evening. Uh, again, as we just mentioned, um, the governors of North Carolina, South Carolina, here's Ray Cooper, the governor of North Carolina, uh, with his evacuation order, particularly from the Outer Banks area. Dare County is beginning evacuations. I think Hatteras Island today, and I think the rest of Dare County tomorrow. And we expect that other coastal communities will follow shortly. Uh, Henry McMaster, he's the uh, governor of uh, South, uh, South Carolina. Yeah, right. Uh, saying uh, shutting down schools. We're going to have to use some of those school buses, so we have to close the schools. We're going to need some of those schools for evacuation shelters. It'll be set up, so we have to, school has to be out. And Ralph Northam, governor of Virginia, saying, uh, you know, we're looking statewide at an emergency in Virginia. This hurricane is likely to have impacts statewide, not just our coastal areas. Uh, and uh, moving up the coast, Larry Hogan, governor of Maryland, the same thing, saying well, we need a state of emergency declared here. This is a proactive measure to ensure that all necessary resources are mobilized in areas of our state with the greatest potential need. So think about it. You know, uh, if you are uh, anywhere near that area and if you want to ride it out, you're not supposed to or get out. Either way, you got to stock up on a lot of stuff because... <laughs> The shelves will soon be bare. A couple of shoppers down in North Carolina talking about what it's like. It's chaotic. Oh, my goodness. Long lines. It's a mess in there. Like, it's wiped out clean. Yeah. You can imagine everybody coming no in, joke. getting water, getting, you know, essentials, right? Batteries, bread, water, yeah. you know, all that stuff. To ride them through. Food for right. the pets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you it, can't forget about the pets. I no. Mean, no. And it's sort of like, you know, you look at this storm, and again, we I feel like we keep saying this, you know, every year. These storms are getting bigger. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. nastier and way more powerful. Like, I lived through uh, Hurricane Hugo, which uh, devastated parts of South Carolina, and that was considered to be a monster storm back, you know, in whatever, 1992, I think it was. Uh, a, just a monster of a storm. And you look at it now, in comparison, it's nothing compared to the storms that we've seen like in the last five years. No. It's the frequency and it's the intensity of the storms that has increased. I mean, look at, look at uh, this is early in the season, and yeah. already this is, this is like the third one, right, in the last couple of weeks. You know, yesterday morning when we were talking about Florence, I, was, I, I, I did the, the story in the first hour that they expected it to reach uh, Category 4. And yesterday during the day, it rocketed straight to a Category 4. Just boom, straight yep. through Category 3 and straight to yep. Category 4 very quickly. So there is a, there's a news on Hurricane Florence. And we'll be tracking that, of course, uh, like everybody else over the next couple of days. Uh, Can I, I just want to yes. just a quick update because Ray just showed me. Uh, they, they, they said that it could approach a Category 5 storm as it hits uh, close to the Carolinas. That, they just updated that this morning. So it could be a Category 5 hurricane. Whoa. And there was one last year was Category 5. I remember. Yeah. I forget. Maria, maybe. I'm, I'm, I forget. But, but yeah, really, one of them was. Yeah, that, you're right. That's what did so much damage in the Caribbean. Yeah. 
Uh, at any rate, that storm uh, doesn't, uh, as intense as it is, a Category 4, that doesn't even approach the intensity of the storm that has hit the White House, of course. Uh, it's been going on for a few, for almost a week now, but today is the official release of the Bob Woodward book, Fear, uh, and uh, just, um, what, four or five days after release of that op-ed, anonymous op-ed, in the New York Times, which has um, sent the White House into even more chaos than usual, and particularly focused on trying to find out who wrote that op-ed, who is the traitor in our midst. Uh, it was so intense that yesterday, for the first time in over two weeks, Sarah Huckabee Sanders actually held a press briefing. Uh, by, by the way, I, as a member of the White House uh, press corps, um, attended, we had a town hall meeting last week of the White House Correspondents Association, and the big topic of discussion was, what are we going to do? We're here to come to these briefings every day, and they're not even, they're not holding any briefings. They just stopped holding briefings. No major announcement. They just don't schedule them. And yesterday's briefing, uh, I can tell you, because I get the notice uh, to call is on my phone, uh, under, under uh, President Obama, it was always the night before the schedule came out, the f- full schedule, including the time of the briefing, and uh, you could plan accordingly. Of course, we're all pretty busy people. Uh, with the Trump administration, they never tell you the day before if there's going to be a briefing or not. They tell you the next morning, the next day, usually in the morning, usually while I'm doing the show, we'll get a notice. Uh, an update to the schedule. They'll put the rest of the schedule out the night before. Update to the schedule. We're adding a briefing, and it'll be at one thirty, two o'clock, or whatever. Uh, so yesterday, the briefing was at 2 o'clock. It wasn't announced until about 1 o'clock, maybe 12.30. That's wild. Well afternoon. Because I kept looking at my thing. Oh, there's no briefing today. There's no briefing today. By that time, I already made other plans, but... It came out, yeah. So with just about an hour's notice, Sarah Huckabee Sanders holds a briefing, and it of course, takes more than an hour to it, get into uh, the briefing room. There are people who have, you know, on their jobs, they're out doing reporting, whatever. Their their White House is is their beat, but if they haven't called a briefing, they're going to be out maybe reporting on something yeah. else, or maybe they have to come from home. Yeah, sure. it takes more than an hour for a lot of people to get there. Um, at any rate, she was loaded for bear. This. Uh, Woodward book, oh yeah, of all the things you can say about Bob Woodward, right, who's, this is his 18th book, as I mentioned yesterday, this one I'm sure will will become the 13th, that uh, the New York Times bestseller, very, very careful. He's never been caught, to my knowledge, in a factual mistake. I mean, he is so careful, and he's got tapes of all of his interviews. The one thing you can't call Bob Woodward is, careless or reckless, but of course, unless you're Sarah Huckabee Sanders. For a book to make such outrageous claims, to not even take the time to get a $10 fact checker to call around and verify that some of these quotes were happening, when no effort was made, it seems like a very careless and reckless way to write a book. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's a very careless and a reckless way (laughs) to to run a briefing. Uh, again, Bob Woodward's got the tapes. Play the tapes, Bob. Just show them. Uh, you know, uh, th- and and all of his. Uh, th- they have not refuted any of his claims. I mean, Gary Cohn and Rob Porter told Bob Woodward that they told Bob Woodward he's got the tapes. 
that they took documents off the president's desk so he couldn't sign them. Um, and and that was th- this resistance inside the White House was certainly confirmed in the uh, New York, uh, which Bob Woodward indicated exists, certainly confirmed uh, in the uh, op-ed in the New York Times. Uh, as far as that op-ed is concerned, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, how sad that somebody should think about doing this. It's uh, frankly, I think, sad and pathetic that a gutless anonymous source uh, could receive so much attention from the media. Oh, yeah. I was sad that, that we should pay so much attention to an op-ed written by a senior inside the White House official, a senior member of Donald Trump's team, who would say that they're so worried about Donald Trump doing extreme damage to this country that they think it's their mission to stay in the White House and protect the country from Donald Trump. Uh, how, how sad that somebody would write that? No. How sad that that even exists. How sad that we have a president who is so clueless that the White House staff feel compelled to do that and then to tell the American people what they're doing. So what are they going to do about it down at the White House? How about lie detector test uh, that was suggested by Rand Paul? Uh, seemingly, Donald Trump liked the idea. Sarah Huckabee Sanders says, maybe not so fast. No uh, lie detectors are being used or talked about uh, or looked at as a possibility. Um, frankly, the White House and the staff here are focused on doing our jobs. <laughs> No, they're not. <laughs> I mean, I don't even, of all the lies no, she's not. told, I don't yeah. believe that at right. all. No, they're not. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so then maybe what we'll do is have, um, how about a uh, Department of Justice uh, investigation? Now, now there's a good idea. Someone actively trying to undermine the duly elected president and the entire executive branch of government, that seems quite problematic to me and something that they should take a look at. Uh, Oh, I see. Yeah, Jeff Sessions is going to do that right away. Yeah. But, of course, the ultimate source on anything out of the White House is uh, not um, the president. It is not the press secretary. It's not the communications director. It's not the vice president. It is little Donnie Jr., yes, um, who uh, pops up every once in a while with the last word on anything. And here's his take on serious crimes committed by whoever wrote that op-ed. It's pretty disgusting. That's pretty sad. Perhaps it's a disgruntled person who's been thrown out because they didn't deliver on what they were supposed to do. What's the crime, though? Listen, I think you're subverting the will of the people. I mean, to try to control the presidency while not the president. You have millions and millions of Americans who voted for this. God, how pathetic. You know, he's really taken on his father's. uh, Yeah, uh, he he has his whole father's M.O., his style and everything. Yeah. The serious crime is criticizing my daddy. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. That's a serious crime. Then yeah. you're subverting the will of people by criticizing my daddy. I mean, millions of people voted for him, so just shut up. That's what he says. Otherwise, otherwise, it's a serious crime. Uh, meanwhile, uh, one uh, former White House aide, uh, Amorosa, and her book Unhinged, she is still uh, talking, still making the rounds, uh, appearing on The View yesterday. She was over on MSNBC also. But on The View, she unveiled a new tape She's got a whole series of tapes that she just sprinkles out there whenever she feels it's necessary. Uh, And um, this tape, I believe this is one with uh, um, Trump trying to blame the Russian investigation. So what happened here um, is apparently he was 
there was a meeting going on about how they were going to, with Hope Hicks, Kelly, uh, Sarah, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Sanders, and Trump. Uh, and Yeah, well, he, th- th- that meeting was about how they were going to explain the tax cuts bill or something. Yeah. And Trump just kind of wanders in and into the meeting and sort of takes over talking about uh, the Russian investigation and Hillary. I think Hillary's getting killed now with Russia. The real Russia story is Hillary and collusion. Uh, somebody told me, hope you told me it was $9 million they spent on the phony report. Someone just, yeah, someone just said you said far worse than the country that we thought. She didn't know her own campaign was spending $9 million. Did you see? Nobody knows who spent it. <laughs> you know, I heard it was nine. I heard it was 5.7, but now they say it was 9. It was paid to a law firm. That way they can't trace it. But they trace it when they in this business. They trace it. And, yeah, close to $9 million. I can't even believe it. The reason law firm is because this way you don't have to give any papers. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just Trump just kind of rambling on about, again, Anything they can do to change the subject and blame everything on Hillary, uh, which he's still, which he's still tried to do, still doesn't realize that he actually did somehow through the Electoral College win the election, that he still is president of the United States. He doesn't have to worry about it, Hillary, anymore, but he can't let it go. You know, he can't but, let it go. And the other interesting thing in that, that it, again, it's kind of hard to hear because it was recorded yeah. from Amorosa's phone, cell probably phone. in a handbag probably in her or handbag like or yeah. pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the audio is not great. But it's Hope Hicks and Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Trump. Amorosa, obviously. And Amorosa's in there. But the t- the two voices that you hear on the tape are, are, are the three mm-hmm. voices, Trump and then Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Hope Hicks. And Trump goes off on this weird tangent about Hillary and Russia, as you point out. And they're all just going, yes, Mr. President. Absolutely, mm-hmm. Mr. Yeah. President. Yes, Mr. And it's just, they just let him just ramble. Yeah, right. That's how things are getting done at the White House. Exactly. Uh, and, uh, by the way, uh, also at the White House, in response to the uh, Amorosa book, uh, where she set, she taped, remember, John Kelly firing her, and she taped that in the Situation Room on her cell phone. Um, they have new rules now at the White House where you can't... So they had lockers outside the Situation Room uh, where you had to put your cell phone. Obviously, she did not, but you had to put your cell phone before you went into the Situation Room. Now the new rules, according to CNN, are that you not only can't... You can't put your... You can't take your cell phone into the Situation Room... You can't even put it in the locker outside the Situation Room. Now you have to leave it upstairs in your office or at the front entrance to the West Wing where there's another rack of little lockers or store, you know, pinhole, cubby holes or something where you have to put your phone. So uh, they're so paranoid there. That'll fix it. That, that'll, that'll fix it. And you watch. Somebody else is going to go up. You know it. they are. <laughs> right. But it just shows... You, can you imagine the mood, the tension inside the White House right now? I mean, it is spy versus spy. Everybody's going to be looking at everybody's like, yeah. are you the one, are you the one, are you the one, whatever. Meanwhile, um, another look inside the White House on, from CNN. They are out with uh, their latest um, numbers on the approval rating for uh, President Trump. Remember, last week it was Washington Post and ABC who showed um, 60% of Americans disapprove of the job the president is doing. Um, Just about the same, according to CNN. Overall, 58% of Americans, and their latest survey released this morning, 58% disapprove of of, of President Trump's 
the way he's governing, handling the Oval Office, handling the presidency, 36%, only 36% approve. By the way, last month, that was 42% approve. Down, down, down. And what's significant in this poll, that's especially true among independents. Independents, 36% of independents approve uh, approval rating for President Trump right now. Again, that was 47%. Among independents, 47 last month. It's fallen 11 points in one month. Uh, so maybe um, things are things are turning, start, starting to turn in terms of... And by the way, again, this is the first president who in, in, in modern times who in his first two years has not ever reached a 50% approval rating uh, among the American people. Um, yeah, so every time you hear Donald Trump say, <clears throat> oh, the American people love me, the poll numbers are higher than ever before. No, they are not. Two other quick things to mention here before we take a break. One is Nancy Pelosi finally gets her due. Nancy Pelosi, for the first time on the cover of Time magazine. And note, this is before Democrats have taken back the House, and Nancy Pelosi becomes once again Speaker of the House of Representatives, which I believe will happen and should happen. Uh, but at any rate, there have been Donald Trump, I don't know how many times, on the cover of Time magazine. Um, he's been there. Uh, Mitt Romney's been on the cover Arnold Schwarzenegger, Dick Cheney, Al Gore, Vladimir Putin, <laughs> Don Imus was even on the cover of Time magazine. Never Nancy Pelosi until now. Uh, by the way, she has raised so far this year some $91 million uh, for Democratic House races. So she is, she is definitely doing her job. Uh, and the other significance here of September 11, we've told you, publication date for my new book, Trump must go, the top 100 reasons to dump Trump and one reason to keep him. Comes out today. Go to our website, BillPressShow.com, to find out more about it. But also, go to our, web show, our, our website, BillPressShow.com, um, not only to find out how you can purchase the book and where it's available and maybe get some little insights into the 100 reasons, but all, and we'll read a, more, read a few of these later in the program. Um, but also, we have a special web page. So look, here's the deal. The top 100, everybody who sees the book already have said, hey, how can you just have just 100? There are a lot more than 100. Yes, there are. But I had to turn it in. First of all, it was tough to get it down to just 100. Yeah, I could have gone, I could have written 1,000. Had to get it down to 100. So it's a, a book you can handle. Um, not too long. Um, but then I had to turn this in like two months ago. Since that time, it's at least 150 now, right? Yeah. So we wanted to give you the opportunity, and uh, there are more every day. So we wanted to give every, everybody the opportunity to add your own reasons and keep the list growing. And we've got that, again, on our website, special page, billpressshow.com. Uh, and, Peter, we looked at it yesterday. It's, it's pretty easy. You just um, put in your name, know that. We may add your name to that website, so yeah. you know if you're uh, put in your name. If you don't want to you, give your real name, that's fine. You, you can not, make up a name. You we can don't make care. up a name. We don't care, right? <laughs> but then put put in your reason, and we'll add those reasons on the web, 
to the 100 that are in the book. So it's a, it's sort of like an interactive living book that way. Yeah. Right? I mean, look, there a are book a, that keeps writing itself, or a book that you and I keep writing together. Yeah. Yeah. L- like there, there've cool. already been a hundred reasons to get rid of Trump since this week. This week, that's right. <laughs> right. So uh, I'm sure all the reasons still stand up, but there are definitely more. So please let us know what they are. Somebody even pointed out, someone that's even sent one in that said, you know, Trump has really bad hair. Okay, sure. I don't know that that's a reason to necessarily get rid of him, but th- that's fair. That's fair. You can you can, you can can make that point. Somebody told me last night that his hair is getting darker. Oh, really? I, I haven't noticed. Check that out. I haven't noticed that either yet. But anyway, point is, Congratulations, Bill. New book, Trump Must Go. Check out the website, <laughs> BillPressShow.com. Yes. When we come back, Rebecca Intrago is going to join us from Think Progress, uh, helping us cover through the news of the day with all of you. And again, your comments welcome on Twitter, at BP Show. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. On a Tuesday, September 11, uh, welcome everybody to the uh, Bill Press Show live from our nation's capital in our studio on Capitol Hill. On this September 11, we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Teachers. Uh, great article in the New York Times Sunday Magazine about uh, the impact that teachers are having across the country um, going out and protesting and striking and, and turning state capitals around on the issues not only of a better pay for teachers, but also uh, better supply, <laughs> necessary supplies and better conditions for students in America's public schools, all under the leadership of President Randy Weingarten and the AFT. We salute them, thank them for their support of the program, direct you to their website at aft.org. And we welcome to the studio from Think Progress, um, our good friend, Rebecca Entrago. Hi, Rebecca. Nice Hello. to see you. Nice to see you as well. All right. Um, and we've been uh, stirring things up a little bit already this morning, Peter. Yes, indeed. I want to start out with a comment from our Walker Ogden, who is on, on Twitter. Uh, he pointed out a an Instagram post from Donald Trump Jr., Oh. And Rebecca, you're yes. you're a Floridian. I'm sure you've yes. seen this. I have seen it. I was hoping you guys would talk about it. Yeah, we got to get into <laughs> this. So Donald Trump Jr. put up, he was in Louisiana, uh, and he put up a post of him, uh, a picture of him swimming in a swamp, literally, and he says, this is what <laughs> happens when someone bets me a good sum that there's no way that the guy from New York City would swim in a gator-infested swamp or bayou down in Louisiana. <laughs> Easy money. And it's him covered in muck and nastiness where he jumped into it, literally jumped into a swamp because someone said he wouldn't do it. Uh, that's called gator baiting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think I saw someone post on Twitter. They were like, I would make a drain the swamp joke, but I'm I'm just too tired. Yeah. And that's exactly like I saw the picture and I was like, all right, like whatever. <laughs> this is who Don Jr. is. Yeah. Yeah, don't jump into the swamp in no. Louisiana or Florida or ne- anything. Ne- never. gators live, don't jump in a swamp. <laughs> okay, don't do it. so this was like years ago when he was in college and probably had no. been drinking no. a lot no, of No, this beer, was right? like this weekend. This was, yeah, just the other day. <laughs> oh, don't tell me that. Oh, God. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Sorry to tell you. Yeah, unfortunately. I'm telling you, the apple didn't fall far from that tree. No. No. It's, it just really shows what he will do for a couple bucks or just to prove that he's like manly. His father like... would do that. <laughs> Absolutely. No, he's, a, he's a germaphobe. Do... I don't know if he oh, would. Oh, that's right. Oh. The germaphobe I don't know if he. I don't know him. if he'd want to be covered in like swamp muck. Yeah. 
That's it's a very point. unpleasant feeling. Uh, also, a couple of comments uh, uh, on, yes. on on Twitter. Uh, Matthew says, if Donald Trump was to take a lie detector test, the lie detector machine might not even be able to take it. Like, right. It might just you know, <laughs> have, have a, a to- complete overload. Uh, and Phil talks about the hurricane that I lived through, Hurricane Hugo. Yeah. Uh, he says, Hugo made landfall as a Category 4, 140 miles per hour. That was the most powerful storm to ever hit land north of Florida at the time. We will see if Florence will be that big when it hits. Again, just an update earlier this morning. They right. said that it could very well hit a Category 5 before it hits the Carolinas. Mm. Uh, so it's going to be a big, big, big storm. Um, also, uh, I just uh, noted during the break here um, that uh, Adam Clymer, a reporter for the New York Times, has passed away at the age of 81. Mm. Uh, Clymer, a great political reporter, um, maybe um, made most famous by the time that he was covering uh, a George W. Bush rally uh, during the presidential campaign, I believe, yeah. of 2000. It's one of the and, greatest clips and, of all time. Right. And Dick Cheney uh, looks over and says, that guy's bad news or something. No. <laughs> oh, no. George Bush said, look at that guy. He's bad news. And Dick Cheney said he's a real a-hole, right? Major league a-hole. Major league a-hole. Major league a-hole. <laughs> yeah. Right. I remember at the time of the softball team I was playing on, we were the major league a-holes. Amazing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was that was probably his most famous uh, uh, shout out for uh, sure. Do you know a badge of honor? I hope they put that on his tombstone. <laughs> he wore it as a badge of honor. Oh, yeah. He, he loved it. That's major amazing. league a-hole. <clears throat> Dick Cheney. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of New York Times reporters nowadays will have. I'm sure Trump has given, <laughs> oh, you know, very similar nicknames, yes. oh, yeah. and now they're going to be a ton of reporters with similar Okay, so there's a lot of uh, Florida talk here going on. So yeah, I, you <laughs> just came back from Florida as a Florida native, right? I did, yeah. I okay. thought, you know, moving here I would be escaping hurricanes, but, you know— Nope. No, I was wrong. <laughs> you were down there last week for the primary. I was there. I was there uh, for about five days um, before the primary, including the primary, and it was uh, interesting. I was there to cover a little bit of the house races there, um, so uh, to cover Curbelo's race, uh, particularly his Democratic opponent, Debbie Mugarcel Powell, since that's kind of one of the most close watched races there. Uh, you know, that's a district that uh, is represented by a Republican, but voted for Trump by twenty points, or voted for uh, Clinton by twenty points. Excuse me. Um, so, so it's. Curbelo Bello has been uh, a pretty, as a Republican, pretty open critic of the president. Yeah, he's 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 pretty moderate. Um, but it's it's all really talk. He he you know he campaigns as a, a moderate on uh, immigration, but he has a, a pack. I think it's called What a Country Pack, where um, he's been fundraising for really immigration, like really huge immigration hardliners like Kevin Yoder. So you know it's it's he's he's all, he's kind of all talk when it comes to you know being moderate. A lot of his policies. Um, you know, you know, tend to be, you know, he votes in line with Trump, you know, 89, 90 percent of the time. So, you know, he's 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 kind of seen as a real vulnerable pickup for uh, for Democrats. Um, and then the same with the neighboring district, uh, which is Ileana Ross Lantanen's uh, yeah, old district. Right. Um and uh, I spent some time with a Democratic candidate who lost the primary to Donna Shalala, um, uh, who ended up winning. She's 77. She, I think she would be the oldest um a junior uh, member of Congress. 
Um, and uh, junior member of Congress is seventy-seven. Yes, exactly. Um, but she's former, you know, HHS secretary under uh, President Clinton, and she was um president of UM for a while, raised a lot of money for them. Um, and uh, the Republican uh nominee is Maria Maria Elvira Sarasar, who is a former uh. Telemundo or uh, Univision um, oh, uh, uh-huh. news anchor. So it's interesting. She's very she's campaigning very moderately. She's very like middle of the road, uh, kind of similar to Ileana Ross. Um, she got the blessing of Ileana to to run. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, who kind of wins that district if they kind of want to go with someone who is, uh, you know, more like Ileana. That district voted for Clinton by 17 points, I believe. Um and uh, that district is almost all of Miami. It's Miami Beach, Miami, the big city proper. It used to, and um, uh, a lot of like Coral Gables, the south area part of Miami. And then uh, Curbelo's district is like the western part of Miami-Dade. So um, Kendall, Pinecrest, South Dade, Homestead, and all of the Keys. Then all of the Everglades <laughs> mm. to across the other side, the western, just south right. of Na- Naples. Um, so there are two huge South Florida districts. And it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, who kind of comes on comes out on top there. And um, we learned yesterday that Ron DeSantis, the mm-hmm. Republican nominee for governor, is resigning his seat in yeah. the um, uh, in Congress mm-hmm. uh, to devote his attention full-time to running for governor yeah. against uh, Andrew Gillum. Yeah. So um, nobody saw Andrew Gillum's victory coming, huh? No, I, I, I definitely... So I went to College of Florida State, which is in Tallahassee, and he was elected mayor, I believe, my freshman year of college there. Um, and that was actually kind of the first political campaign that I remember friends of mine getting involved in. He was very popular with young people there. Um, and it was kind of interesting to see him. You know, he was mayor the entire time I was in college. He was very beloved mayor there. Um, and, uh, you know, he was elected to Tallahassee City Council when he was still in college. He was. Uh, oh, at, really? Yeah, he was. He's been very politically active um, for a very long time. Um, and, uh, yeah, no one saw it coming. But the minute I kind of got to. Miami. Uh, I went to his last campaign event um, before going back up to Tallahassee, and um, uh, it was kind of a on his last Bring It Home tour. He made a stop in Richmond Heights, such an area in uh, Miami Dade where he grew up, and he went to the church that he was baptized at and had this huge rally. And like it was amazing to see people who you know went to high school with him. And I, I talked to someone who went to high school. Uh, with him and you know told brought their kids and said you know I went to high school with that guy and it was just really really awesome to see you know uh, the neighborhood come out for him and after I went to that I kind of you know I got a lot of emails from his campaign saying you know you know don't believe the polls there's going to be a big surge um and and I was like okay 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 and then when I went there and I, I and I saw people there and I saw you know the support he has in uh, Miami and in other areas of Broward. I was like, okay, I think I think he might stand a chance. And uh, if anything, I thought he would come in second to Gwen Graham or something like that. Um, but you know, I don't think you know very few people what, had him coming out on top. What made the difference? I don't know. I think he was able to turn out a lot of people to vote. Um, he was able to turn out people like in his home neighborhood in Richmond Heights. Um, I was in uh, South Dade, which is near, near Homestead, Florida City, which is kind of a rural, a lot of, uh, you know, farm workers work there. It's a working class black community. And I went there with Debbie Mukarsel Powell, who's running for Congress. And a lot of people there said that, you know, Gillum really motivated them out and come out to vote and they normally don't vote. And so I think it was him, you know, someone from the neighborhood um, who who really motivated people come out to vote. And, and also it was a case where I think a lot of people – were um, 
I think this his story of being the only non-millionaire and having so many, you know, uh, donations and grassroots uh, organizations behind him. I think that really endeared people to him, and I think they that made him seem really authentic. So this, I mean, this, we talked last week when we when he won the primary or won, won the uh, nomination. Uh, this is sets up the classic clash. Oh yeah, oh yeah. This is between, like this is the the national the, political debate at the moment. It, it is yeah. right. I mean, between a guy that would not be where he is yeah. if Trump had not endorsed him mm-hmm. in the Republican primary mm-hmm. over Adam Putnam. Right. So Ron DeSantis right. is the total Trumper, mm-hmm. and then Andrew Gillum, right, um, whom Bernie endorsed, right. right? Uh, is the rising tide, if you will, of the Democratic Party. Right? Yeah, represents the new energized Democratic Party. Uh, how does that play in Florida? Is Florida ready to move into the <laughs> 21st century? I mean, it's been over. Backwards. It's been, it's been over 20 years since Florida's had a Democratic governor. Um, so you know, I mean, I mean, we'll we'll see. So something a statistic that I found was interesting was um, when the numbers started coming in from the Republican primary is that DeSantis lost the rural rural areas. He didn't have a lot of support out in, you know, Ocala, Central Florida parts. Um, all of his support was in, like, the white suburbs, you know, uh, white suburbs of Jacksonville, white suburbs of Orlando, white suburbs of, uh, you know, um, of, of Tallahassee, pa- Panama City Beach. Um, he doesn't have a lot of rural support. And that's something I, so I, I think he's definitely vulnerable um, there. Uh, and in, definitely in South Florida, there's a lot of momentum um, for for someone like from like someone like Gillum from from what I was able to see there. How you know it's going to be a very 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 close race. I don't think it'll be a runaway by any stretch of the imagination. But um, uh, you know, I, I I was reading a story in the Herald when Gillum won, and uh, some the reporter was at Gwen Graham's watch party, mm-hmm. and uh, there are a couple of Republican women there who was, that was Gwen Graham's sort of, another one of her target bases was trying to get Republican women to come to her side, and, you know, this reporter asked this Republican woman, you know, what are you going to do now? You either vote yeah. for, you for DeSantis or you vote for someone who's super liberal, and she said, well, I, I guess I better read up on Gillum then, and a lot of, I think a lot of never-Trumpers in Florida are, really don't like DeSantis, but then again, DeSantis is you know, in my experience growing up, they're the typical Florida Republican. You know, he's kind of not afraid to like say what he feels, and he's very, you know, very pro-Trump. As that once ad that we saw of him, you know, teaching Building his kid the, to say "build the wall," build and the wall. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, we'll 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 see. I I really don't know. It's, I ran it's into uh, one of the best pollsters in the business last week, whose mm-hmm. name I will not mention because he was talking off the record, <laughs> who said he thought that uh, Andrew Gillum's going to do very well in Florida mm-hmm. and that um, thanks to Andrew Gillum, he thinks that Bill Nelson oh, yeah. might be able to, <laughs> might it, be able to win. If it, if but, it wasn't, ugh, but, yeah. But without Gillum, that Nelson, he thought, would really be in trouble. Yeah, I had that thought the other day, and I was like, if, if Gwen Graham had won, that would be the most boring ticket in like the history of the world. <laughs> um, and I, I really think, you know, Nelson got very lucky uh, that that someone really energetic like like Gillum won because I mean, and he's still going to struggle. It's that's also going to be a super tight race. Um, you know, Nelson's never really been challenged um, like this before. He's never really faced. Uh, and nobody's had the money that Rick Scott has. Exactly. And it it'll be it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Um, in one of the more recent, I know it's like very early talk about polls, but in one of the more recent polls, I think the most recent one when it comes to the governor's race, uh, I believe that Ron DeSantis had the slight edge over um, 
Gillum when it comes to the Hispanic vote, which I thought found was interesting. It was about like three or four points. Um, and I'm somewhat someone in the newsroom said, well, maybe it's just people assume he's Hispanic because DeSantis. And I was like, I don't think that's true. <laughs> but uh, oh, he's, he's Italian. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I found that was interesting. And also, you know, Rick Scott has uh, oh. you know, support of a lot of Puerto Rican voters um, in uh, in Central Florida who came from Hurricane Maria. And you know, for some for reasons I honestly don't understand yet. I think it's because he was very, uh, you know, present in Puerto Rico um, when when everything was happening. Obviously, he's governor, so he had to be. Um, but uh, yeah, it, that'll be a very interesting race. It'll be interesting to see if you know, you know, Democrats can win a Senate seat in Texas but lose one in Florida. I'm I'm like fascinated. Yeah, fascinated by what's going on yeah. in Florida right yeah, now. Yeah, it's right. it's right. I, I, and it's it's. It, very, very interesting. And in any it's other like political a, climate, it would be... It's like a battle for the heart and soul of Florida, yeah. right? Florida yeah. really, you know... <laughs> I, I don't really, think that's overselling it. No, I really, really to identify yourself, okay, who are we as a state? Yeah. Right? I mean, that's going to be a major statement, Yeah, right? and Both the Senate race and particularly the governor's yeah. race. And, yeah, and, and I don't think but, it would, we would be having this conversation, like you said, if Trump didn't win. Any other, you know political year, it would be a Putnam-Graham ticket. It'd be a very, like, middle-of-the-road ticket for both sides of the party. Right. Um, and uh, it was it was very interesting. Uh, I, I met, I met Gwen, Gwen Graham when I was in Tallahassee uh, because she won the congressional seat there. Uh, before it got redistricted, redistricted out, um, I was uh, an intern reporter at the NPR station in Tallahassee, and I met her there. And she's a very charismatic person. The first thing you do when uh, – first thing she does when you meet her is she, you go out or shake her hand, and she's like, I'm a hugger, and she'll give you a hug. And she's a very PTA mom. That's kind of her, her mm-hmm. whole her whole thing. She's very nice, but it's it, – uh, she had to come out. Her campaign had to come out with a statement, basically saying, "Like, I know you all think I'm boring, but I'm not boring." <laughs> um, oh no! And if you have to say that, yeah. kind of means yeah. they're boring. But there, but there's a little bit of controversy with that because her family owned um, a, a lot, a plot of land that was going to be made into like the largest mall in America, and a lot of Democrats were like, "You're going to profit off this land, and it's going to be bad for the environment." So each one of these millionaires, kind of, and in Jeff Green's case, a billionaire, had you know a lot going on with them and, sure. and and Gillum does too because of the FBI uh you know mm-hmm. corruption probe but a lot of people don't know about it uh it's very complicated uh and I don't think anyone would care I think it's interesting to see if um DeSantis I don't I don't think you can support the president and also hit someone for being involved in an FBI probe that they haven't been implicated in any of the court documents or anything like that I just don't I don't I don't see that how, how that works for him but yeah we do so we know somebody else is a little higher holds a little higher office yeah. it's also the subject <laughs> yeah. of an FBI probe. Yeah. <laughs> Rebecca and Trago with us from Think Progress, thinkprogress.org. Uh, you're also uh, reporting on the uh, jobs report. Yeah. Um, not a bad jobs report. Yeah. Once again, you know, over mm-hmm. 200,000 new jobs yep. created. Yep. So uh, Donald Trump taking full credit for it. For it. Yeah, of course. Uh, and a uh, very low unemployment rate, stayed at 3.9. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, a lot of economists, the number that stuck out to them when the jobs report came out on Friday um, was 2.9 because it was a 2.9 wage growth. Um, and that's the first, the, the biggest wage growth we've seen since 2009. So, you know, a lot of people kind of hung on to that and, you know, said, you know, wages are finally going up. But when I, I, I saw, I talked to uh, an, an economist and they said, you know, when you factor in inflation, that you know, that number is really only 2%. So it's really not as big as uh, as the White House likes to make it seem. They kind of had um, his, the Council of Economic Advisors, Kevin Hassett, kind of go out on like this, you know, publicity tour and, and, and sort of be like, you know, 
the economy's doing great and wages are amazing and the American people are thriving and and uh, they even sent out like a fact sheet or something and where they were sent out these numbers and they even cited Think Progress is reporting on wages uh, as mm. as being a, you know, they, I think they said something like the left has a new talking point and it's, you know, stagnant wages. But it's true. I mean, you know, people like my mom work over 40 hours a week and still can't, you know, afford to pay rent, make car payments and stuff like that. So, you know, it's it's. It's I, I, I just don't understand how you can – well, I guess because they haven't really been a middle-class American in a while. But, yeah. you know, if you pull any average person on the street and ask them, you know, if they've seen any growth in their paycheck, I, I, I assume they would say no. <laughs> but, you know. Uh, consuming Washington last week uh, were the hearings for Brett Kavanaugh, which yeah. I know you were also covering you and your colleagues at, mm-hmm. uh, at Think Progress. Um, a lot of drama, um, particularly on the first day of hearings. Yeah. Um, a lot of probing on the part of Democrats, either about the, the process and the release of the documents or the some of the issues that they were focusing on, particularly the issue of presidential power. Right. Um, where do we stand right now in terms of um, the votes? Any votes changed? I think I'm I'm sort of pessimistic in that when I was watching the hearings, I had to sort of ask myself and be like, what would be the one thing that would change a Republican's mind? Um, and... I, I just wasn't convinced that any Republican was going to change their mind. If it was, it's going to be someone like Ben Sass. But even then, I, you know, you need more people to sort of cross the line. And I just I just, you know, all, a lot of those people are, are all talk. Um, there was that one uh, quote from Ben Sass where he's like, I wake up every morning and think yeah. about leaving the Republican Party. It's like, right. oh, how brave. I'm like, just do it then. <laughs> if, if, you know, if, 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 if you don't believe in the party anymore, just leave. But um, so, you know, I'm, I'm sort of on the pessimistic side that I don't think I don't really think anyone's votes were changed. Um, uh, you know, Kavanaugh is kind of the perfect judge for a lot of Republicans, same same way Gorsuch was, um, and especially for Republicans that want to protect the president. Um, you know, he's kind of the perfect the the perfect judge for them. Yeah. Uh, what I keep coming back to is the idea that with Kavanaugh on the court, in addition to Neil Gorsuch and Kennedy gone, that the swing vote mm-hmm. will be. John Roberts. Hmm. And when we count on a yeah. John Roberts <laughs> oh boy, be the, the swing vote on the Supreme <sighs> Court, yeah, that's, uh, uh... that certainly is tilt, tilt very, very far to the right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a court that will be way out of step with the, Amer- with the American people are right now yeah. on many issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will be that way for decades. These are young judges. <laughs> yeah, Kavanaugh's very young. Gorsuch is young as well, and those are, that's two very you know conservative votes. Uh, and 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 I don't you know I'm not a legal scholar by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't think you know there's ever been a Supreme Court that's going to that if he's you know confirmed would be this conservative. Um, it's it's scary, <laughs> uh, especially knowing how 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 finite it is. You know, in Congress we can always bank on the midterms, you can always bank on the general, but you know you don't really have that with the Supreme Court. No. Uh, it's it's sort of indefinite uh, for. For a lot of people, I get down on my knees every night before I go to bed, right? And say a little prayer for long, long may she live, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh, oh God, bless her heart. She's 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 gonna outlive us all. <laughs> no, 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 she her workout plan is insane. It's 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 truly I I admire her. I don't even I don't even work out as hard as she does. So uh, she's she's in good health, but 
you know. We'll... You probably don't eat as much kale as she does. Pro- probably not. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. That's what she told me once was her secret. Oh, really? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Eating a lot of kale and her workout plan. Right. Oh, wow. He's uh, tank. Uh, Democrats going to run on getting rid of ICE? That's a, that's interesting. I think what's going to happen is, and this is something I saw in, in Florida as well, is a lot, I think a lot of people are going to run on a platform that sounds like it's it's abolishing ice, so maybe, uh, and Gillum has done this, you abolish ice and replace it with something more humane. Right. And I feel like that's what a lot of people are going to go with. So um, they could borrow a phrase, repeal and replace. Oh, yeah, they repeal have done that. Repeal and replace. <laughs> repeal and right? replace ice, yeah. <laughs> see how that works. All right. Hey, great to see you, Rebecca. Thanks so much for your good work over there with Think Progress. And remember, it is thinkprogress.org. All right. Lots more to talk about, including the latest from EPA and methane. Coming up next on The Bill Press Show. Stay tuned. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends. Don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of The Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Florence is coming, batting down the hatches. That's the word up and down the east coast of the United States on this Tuesday, September 11. Hello, hello, everybody. How about it? It's The Bill Press Show, and it's good to have you part of it today. As we come to you live from Washington, D.C., uh, the lead capital of the free world, our, and by the way, it, <laughs> where uh, we used to say the leader of the free world lived and governed, uh, no longer, uh, no longer do people consider the president of the United States, the United States as the leader of the free world. I guess you kind of have to give that uh, honor and title to maybe Emmanuel Macron of France or Angela Merkel of Germany. Um, Certainly not Donald Trump of the USA. Whatever, with lots to talk about today, yes, Hurricane Florence is uh, dominating the the news uh, as she makes her way to the east coast of the United States due to hit uh, the Carolinas late Thursday evening. Um, but the both states are, have already issued mandatory evacuation orders affecting more than a million people. The White House still in a frenzy to try to find out who talked to Robert Bob Woodward and who wrote that anonymous op-ed for the New York Times. Um, they're even They've even adopted some new cell phone r- rules at the White House to try to cover up uh, and prevent anybody else from making secret recordings, uh, and the White House uh, still calling on the Department of Justice to launch an investigation into who wrote that op-ed. we got it covered from many, many different angles. Look forward to hearing from you and your comments on the news of the day, as always, on Twitter, at BP Show. But 
first. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. All right, I don't really eat at Subway restaurants, Bill. I don't know if you do, but... They're not bad. I, I find. Well, the one Once their, in a great while, but... One of their big uh, sellers is the $5 footlong. You get a footlong sandwich for 5 bucks. They announced yesterday that it is going away. The $5 footlong will no longer be available. Now, they got rid of it last... Uh, um, not when I go, year. I never get the footlong. I get the little one get a little on whole wheat. Sure. Uh, they got rid of it for a while, but then the last year yeah. they brought it back. The $5 footlong was back, and they said that Not a lot selling? of- selling? That- well, they say that basically it's a pretty slim margin. You can't make a ton of money uh-huh. because you get to customize your sandwiches, yeah. which means people come in and they get like the $5 uh-huh. footlong, which let's say is a roast beef, but then you can pile on all kinds yeah. of toppings yeah. and things like that, and so the margins get a little slim. Uh, and so the franchisees, the people that own the, the businesses, they were very upset about it. So they said yesterday, no more $5 footlong. If you want a sandwich from Subway, you're going to have to pay a little bit more for it. Thanks for the warning. Yeah, just just so you know. Don't expect to see that $5 footlong. This story, by the way, this next story is crazy. I'm okay as long as Five Guys still has the little bacon cheeseburger. I don't think that's going away anytime Can't soon. Can't go away. I don't think that's going away anytime soon. Uh, I saw this story first from our buddy Patrick Tucker from Defense One. He's a technology editor. And he wrote about the future of battlefield communications. And one of the things that they have been testing in the military that the Pentagon has done, they just inked a $10 million contract with a company in California to implant radio communications inside of a tooth. Oh, my God. So you can hear commands... And speak commands instead of wearing like a little earpiece. You know, you see a lot of the military folks yeah, wearing like right. an earpiece or yeah. use a walkie-talkie or something like that. It is called, I love the name, the Molar Mic. The oh Molar Mic. It's God. a small device that clips to the back of your teeth. It has a microphone and a speaker with no visible headset or earpiece. The sound is transmitted through the bone matter in the jaw uh, to the auditory nerves. So that's how it works. Isn't that crazy? That is insane. Oh, my God. Is it an artificial tooth or a real tooth? Uh, it's an artificial. Artificial. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa. This is the Bill Press Show. Hurricane Florence heading our way. If you're on the East Coast, watch out and get out. That's the word from the governors up and down the coast. And uh, Hurricane Bob Woodward hitting the White House today in full force as well as uh, Hurricane Bill Press with my new book, Trump Must Go. Hey, what do you say, folks? Great to see you today. It is Tuesday. Tuesday, September 11. This is the Bill Press Show. Here we are. And our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., reaching out to you coast to coast uh, with all the news of the day, our commentary, and your comments as well. Thanks so much for being with us as we come to you live from our nation's capital and joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you, of course, on the radio on the great WCPT, 820 AM out in the greater Chicago area, and, of course, on uh, Free Speech TV, coast to coast as well. 
Uh, so much to talk about. And um, we want to hear from you, as always, your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Let's start again taking a look at uh, Hurricane Florence. Uh, it is moving up uh, the, uh, the Atlantic, toward, heading toward the coast of the United States, uh, classified now as a Category 4 hurricane, uh, which is uh, almost as big as they get. Category 5 is the worst. But Category 4 is still packing um, 140-mile-an-hour winds due to hit uh, the coast of the Carolinas south and north around 11 p.m. at this point, 11 p.m. Thursday evening. Uh, yesterday, the governors of the coastal states telling people um, they got to pack up, move out, get out, and uh, they've already reversed the flow on the major roads leading to the low-lying areas, the coastal areas, so that it's a one-way street from the coast out. You can't get into the low-lying areas. All the roads are leading out. Here's the governor of uh, North Carolina, Ray Cooper, yesterday with that evacuation order. Dare County is beginning evacuations. I think Hatteras Island today, and I think the rest of Dare County tomorrow. And we expect that other coastal communities will follow shortly. And Henry McMaster, the governor of South Carolina, um, got to close the schools uh, to protect the students, and there's another reason. We're going to have to use some of those school buses, so we have to close the schools. We're going to need some of those schools for evacuation shelters. It'll be set up, so we have to, school has to be out. Yep, close the schools and uh, use the school buses, I'm sure, to just help transport some people who don't have their own transportation to get out of the way. That's a, I mean, that's a really big thing, right? I mean, you remember during, uh, in the aftermath Tr- of Hurricane Katrina, Katrina, there was the yeah. whole flap because the buses were never put into action. There is mm-hmm. an emergency plan in place for these states that deal with hurricanes and bad weather like that, that some people don't have transportation to get out of the low-lying areas like the low country and the coastal areas. So they got to put them on school buses and get them to higher ground. Yeah. Uh, but it's serious, and it just, it, to how serious we were talking uh, earlier in South Carolina and the low-lying areas, a major city like Charleston. Charleston will be evacuated, uh, impacting, of course, not just the residents, but all of those businesses, small businesses there, restaurants particularly, the tour- tourism, tourism industry, the hotels. Uh, that's a major, major economic impact on, on that area. You know, I, I, I can only speak As, to, to Charleston because I'm from there, but, like, when it floods, there's no way in, there's no way out, there's nothing to do. And I know that there are a lot of, in, in North Carolina too, right? Like there are a lot of those coastal areas that it's sort of the same situation. So you got to get out of there. Yeah, right. Uh, and that means uh, there will always be some some crazy souls who decide to ride it out. But um, the right thing to do is uh, get the hell out and... Uh, Get to higher, get to higher ground. That's what uh, and by the way, just not to belabor the point about climate change, but if you think we're hearing about more of these hurricanes coming closer together and being bigger and worse and more dangerous and damaging than ever, you're absolutely right. There clearly is a link between climate change and the weather patterns that we are seeing. Uh, on the subject of climate change, yesterday. 
Um, we found the United States and the state of California moving in two different directions, the wrong direction for the federal government, the right direction for the state of California. Here in Washington, the EPA letting it known yesterday, it's the lead story in the New York Times this morning, uh, that they are weakening the rules at EPA. This is just one more step where, uh, remember, the first one of the first things under Scott Pruitt that the Trump administration did was totally reversing the clean power plant rules adopted under the Obama administration covering um, the CO2 emissions from coal-fired power plants, either existing ones or new ones. Um, uh, one other major greenhouse gas, methane, uh, has been s tightly regulated both under the George W. Bush administration and Barack Obama. Uh, the Trump administration has decided they're going to re relax the rules for methane now, which is among the, reading from the New York Times, among the most powerful greenhouse gases, which routinely leaks from oil and gas wells and uh, energy companies have been required under the old rules uh, to monitor for these leaks and to prevent the escape of methane into the atmosphere. Um, the EPA has decided, no, we're going to uh, get rid of those rules and let the the uh, and and just let the methane escape into the uh, in, into the atmosphere. It is um, one of the most dangerous uh, greenhouse gases, but shows how, even with the departure of Scott Pruitt, nothing has changed at EPA. That's the major point. I mean, this new guy, whatever his name is, the acting uh, administrator, I don't even remember his name, um, he may be less flashy, right, <laughs> less flamboyant. He is not, perhaps, certainly not, I would say, um, spending as many taxpayer dollars on private security or rushing people around uh, Washington to get him to the diplomat on time for his dinner reservation, but he's still as deadly when it comes to uh, undoing all the environmental protections that have been put in place by President Obama. And it's also a shame that our priorities are in places like, I mean, look, it's obviously important that we have a crazy person in the White House, uh, and you know we're following the the weird blow-by-blow blow of the Woodward book and the yeah, op-ed right. and all that stuff. But, like, also, we're just – we've taken our eye off the ball on on all things totally. climate. Totally. Completely. Yeah. And so if you were to ask some of these ghouls yeah. why, why are we doing this, they don't really have a good answer other than just uh, regulations. Regulations are bad. Right. Obama did it. We have to undo it. Right. right. Meanwhile, uh, just in the totally opposite direction in California – Governor Jerry Brown signing a very, very far-reaching rule uh, yesterday, which um, which said just the opposite that under um, uh, in in California that all all of the retail electricity generated in California must be from renewable sources by 2045. So getting rid of fossil fuel and coal-driven power plants and everything, all of that by 2045 statewide in California. Uh, a tough goal, but an important goal, and a goal that will put California in line with, in compliance with, the goals of the Paris Accords, which we signed as a country, of course, under President Obama, and which Donald Trump has now taken us out of. So the United States, out of the Paris Accords, California in full time. Here's Governor Jerry Brown yesterday. 
This bill and the executive order that I'm going to sign will put California on a path to the goals to meet the Paris Agreement and beyond. It's not going to be easy, and it will not be immediate, but it must be done. The legacy of Jerry Brown, who leaves office, sadly, at the end of the year, but he's leaving with a bang. I was going to say, he refuses to coast. Oh, man, no. (laughs) He's not just going to ride out these last couple months. No, right to the end. He's doing some great, great, great stuff, making sure that, again, these these important protections uh, are in place. This puts California in the lead, and I think you're going to see other states other states follow um, as well. And, and by the way, this is the week that uh, Governor Jerry Brown will be leading uh, a conference, uh, a climate change conference worldwide, global climate change conference in San Francisco. Um, I think it's the 12th and 13th uh, with leaders from all around the world. Again, just showing where um, no matter what Donald Trump does, uh, California and other states are going to say we are going to continue to do what we can at the state level uh, in terms of addressing the problem of climate change. Good for him. One of his uh, finest moments uh, as governor. Uh, yes, indeed. We mentioned uh, a little earlier a new poll out for uh, Donald Trump. Not good news for Donald Trump. He keep, every time we every time we turn around. Uh, he's talking about, you know, everybody agrees with what I'm doing. I mean, the polls are great. The numbers are great because people love the economy and 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 they all support me. That's not, not true. We saw last week Washington Post ABC poll showing 60% of Americans disapprove of the job that Donald Trump is doing. Here's CNN uh, out with the latest. CNN yesterday saying um, there is uh, that just about the same number, 58%. According to CNN poll, disapprove of the of, of President Trump's performance in office. Only 36 percent approve, down from 42 percent last month. And the most significant of all is looking at independents. Independents, 47 percent of them supported Donald Trump um, last month, in the month of August. This month in September, according to CNN, that has dropped from 47 down to 36 percent. Um, so a lot of erosion there in the support that Donald Trump might once have had. Yes, indeed. Big day for many reasons. September 11, we mentioned it is the official release of the uh, Bob Woodward book. It's also the official release of my book, Trump Must Go. All right. The top 100 reasons to dump Trump and one to keep him. Um, and you know, uh, <laughs> First of all, go to our website, BillPressShow.com, find out all about the book, when it's available, where it's available, uh, and all of that important stuff. Uh, and also, one of the, uh, the key questions, and I was talking to some people last night, that uh, people ask is, how can, how can you say just 100? Okay, aren't there a lot more than 100? Yes, of course there are a lot more than 100. Uh, it was tough to boil this down. To just 100, but you know you can't have a book that's 800 pages long. Nobody's going to buy it. Nobody's going to read it. So to keep this reason at a reasonable length, we just put top top 100. But look, I had to turn this manuscript in two months ago. Since that time, there have already been probably another two or three a day. Right? It keeps every day turning around. Donald Trump's giving us one more reason why we know we can't stand this much longer. Right? Um, so we've decided, 
put together a special web page where we can continue to add reasons, and you can continue to add reasons, not just me. And we can work on this together. Again, go to BillPressShow.com. Check out that special web page where just put in your name and then add your reason on top of my 100, and we'll continue building this until we get... No, we'll continue building it. It doesn't matter if it's 1,000 or 2,000 reasons. We'll continue building it until... It's not just Trump must go, but Trump has gone, and we can celebrate that. So we've got to make it, make it happen. Uh, you and I together continue uh, to build these reasons. But I wanted to take a look at it with you um, because um, I, I really do think we've reached a point. Interesting, I interviewed uh, former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright uh, last night at uh, our wonderful Hill Center here on Capitol Hill. And one of the things that she said really struck me, and, you know, she has an ongoing group of people like her, former diplomatic heads of all of our allies. So she, as former Secretary of State for the United States, gets together two or three times a year with former the former diplomatic heads of France, Germany, Italy, Spain, the U.K., kind of you name it, Canada, Mexico. Um, and <laughs> the informal name of the group is Madeline's Exes. That's what they uh, kind of call themselves. Uh, but she said in talking with them, first of all, they are just appalled at what's happening in the United States. They can't believe it. Um, they know that this is not... Donald Trump does not really represent who the American people are. Uh, and they'd see that relations between their countries and the United States, they who used to be our strongest allies, are now treated by, like, by Donald Trump like our worst enemies. Uh, so those relationships have really suffered and really soured. But she says what they tell her is, okay, we know things like this happen, and we can accept it maybe for a couple of years. Maybe we could live with this for like four years. But after that, the damage will be irreparable. Um, that, that, that really, that they're, they're adding their voices to the fact that Donald Trump is unfit for the job and Donald Trump has to go. Uh, which is, again, the point of this book. Um, I take a look at Donald Trump both as the with his policies, which is where we should judge any president, um, but also his personality. Let me just read you a little bit, if I can, just a little, just a flavor of it from the introduction here. Enough is enough. That's how it starts. Enough is enough. We can't take it any longer. The country can't absorb any more. Chaos and corruption have become our new normal. Trump must go. Somehow we've managed to endure almost two years of Donald Trump's disastrous presidency. The fact that we've survived at all, however, is no credit to him. It's a testimony to the stability, solidity, and strength of the American people that we can still maintain a steady course despite having a total buffoon in the White House. But this madness cannot continue. Trump is already done so much damage at home and abroad that it will take us decades to recover. 
Every day he's in office brings another tear in the fabric that makes up the American Republic. We cannot risk another two years. We cannot risk another year. We cannot risk another six months. So I laid out, uh, looking at his policies, looking at his personal failures, looking at his domestic, uh, the, the White House staff, at his cabinet, the damage that he's done here at home, the damage that he's done around the globe, all of that making up the 100 reasons, and again, inviting you to add your own reasons. By the way, one other thing that uh, you'll check out when you go to uh, Bill Press, um, the audiobook is also available and read by none other than yours truly. So um, I wrote it and I recorded it uh, for you at BillPressShow.com. We'll be talking more about it, of course, as we go along. And, and by the way, as you add more reasons, uh, we'll read some of those on the air, too, and, uh, and keep it going. By the way, yeah, so yesterday uh, there was a, a very unusual event at the White House, a briefing. Yes, yes. Sarah Huckabee Sanders finally deigned to uh, hold a, a White, another White House briefing. It has been over two weeks since she held one. It was announced at the very last minute, but I guess they were feeling the heat about the, particularly about the Woodward book and still about the op-ed, and so uh, they had to roll her out there to, um, uh, to refute both of them. Uh, in terms of the Woodward book, which, uh, again, comes out today, uh, she, she slams it with two words that I don't think you could really use when it uh, really apply to Bob Woodward and that is reckless or careless. Here's Sarah Huckabee Sanders yesterday uh, at the briefing on the Woodward book. For a book to make such outrageous claims, to not even take the time to get a $10 fact checker to call around and verify that some of these quotes were happening, when no effort was made, it seems like a very careless and reckless way to write a book. Uh, so one reporter there, uh, several reporters, asked her, okay, um, what fact did he get wrong? Uh, crickets. She couldn't say. She just slams it as reckless and careless. Could not name one, even one fact that Bob Woodward got wrong. The one thing you said about Bob Woodward, uh, having written now 18 books uh, about top political figures, most of them about presidents of the United States, uh, for each one of them interviewing hundreds of sources like he did for this one, taping those interviews, uh, the one thing that Bob Woodward is not, he is not reckless. He is not careless. He's not partisan. He's just a very astute observer and a brilliant investigative reporter who investigates uh, any particular situation and then reports on the news. Uh, however, that there's that, of course, and there's then there's the op-ed, which uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders says is just um, just should never be allowed to happen. It's uh, frankly, I think, sad and pathetic that a gutless anonymous source uh, could receive so much attention from the media. Gutless anonymous source. There it is again. And the White House is determined. They're going to still determine. They've narrowed it down, according to CNN, until just a handful of people. Uh, Kellyanne Conway yesterday told Christian Amanpour on CNN that they do believe, and I think they're right about this, from the read, if you read it, the op-ed, that the author of it is somebody involved in national security, foreign policy issues, because they seem to think 
that everything else Donald Trump is doing is okay. That judges, tax cuts, they like that stuff, right? But they're worried about the national security implications. So um, that 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 gets down to a handful of people, maybe Dan Coats, director of national intelligence. Here we go again. John Bolton. Um, I don't think so. I I'm think. not sold on Bolton. I know a lot of people have brought his name up, but yeah. I'm not sold on him. I think he's... Kirsten Nielsen, yeah. you know, Homeland Security Secretary. Um, uh, there's a Fiona Hill, the name comes up. She was H.R. McMaster's deputy mm. at uh, National Security Advisor. By the way, uh, Amorosi yesterday on The View, she said, boom, Nick Ayers. She just named him. Nick Ayers, Mike Pence's chief of staff. That's one that I've heard that makes a Could lot be. of sense to me. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense to me. He's Dan Coates makes a lot of sense to me, too. But, you know, I also think that you you mentioned something the other day that I think is true. I don't think it's one person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there's going to be a smoking gun that one rogue person sent this op-ed. I think that that person speaks for, a, you know, a couple of different people in the White House. Right. But I did, one one person did kind of maybe it was a team effort. One person did put it together. Sure. Right. But, yeah, because the op-eds have – the reason I said that is the op-ed does talk about unsung heroes. Not not I'm the only one doing this, but indicates that there's a little cabal there, if you will. Uh, at any rate, um, so what are they going to do about it? Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders yesterday, the, the question did come up. Are you going to go ahead with what the president talked about after hearing it suggested, proposed by – Senator Rand Paul, lie detector tests for everybody? No uh, lie detectors are being used or talked about uh, or looked at as a possibility. Um, Frankly, uh, the White House and the staff here are focused on doing our jobs. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, right. (laughs) No, they're not focused on doing their jobs. They are focused, and Donald Trump is entirely focused on finding out who wrote the op-ed. Uh, and but and so going so far, even going so far as to say, okay, maybe this is what the Department of Justice ought to be doing. Instead of investigating me, let's investigate the author of the op-ed. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders says, yeah, we're talking about that. Someone actively trying to undermine the duly elected president and the entire executive branch of government. That seems quite problematic to me and something that they should take a look at. Hmm. There she goes. Yeah, Department of Justice launching a, launching an investigation into uh, this 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 into the anonymous author of this uh, op-ed. Not going to work. Not going to happen. By the way, I do think we'll find out. Uh, that it, we're talking about a universe so small that I do think we'll find out who wrote this op-ed by the end of the week. It took so the last one, the, the big one, an anonymous was uh, Joe Klein. Uh, who wrote the book Anonymous, the yeah. novel Anonymous. Um, it took about a year before we, but they were able to, before we found out that. Times uh, have changed. It. But times have changed. Times have changed. Right. And again, you got a much smaller universe here. Yeah. I mean, there could have been like 500 reporters who could have written that book because it was about Bill Clinton during the campaign. The campaign. There are a lot of during campaign campa- reporters. A lot yeah, of campaign yeah, yeah. reporters, right. Yeah. There may be a universe of, 
25 max. I think the, they narrowed it down to 12 at one yeah. point. Now it's even smaller than that. The, the other thing is you've got an administration that this is their top priority. Nothing else. So Everything to else find takes, out this. Pr- to, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, Everything else takes second yeah. seat. Right. And you've got a White House, which is the leakiest White House that we've ever <laughs> yeah. seen. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it took 30 years for us to find out who Deep Throat was. Okay. Mark fell. So it ain't going to take 30 years. I don't think it's going to take a year. I think it'll be by the end of the week. Oh, boy. And then that person's going to be out of a job. Yeah, they will be. But um, uh, uh, several publishers have pointed out, people involved in, in the book community said that person will automatically have a $10 million book advance. So um, don't feel sorry for that person. Yeah, no, I'm not crying any tears. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break here on this. Uh, lots going on, as always, on this Tuesday, September 11th. Uh, and uh, when we come back, we're going to be joined a little bit later in the hour uh, by Elizabeth Widra from the Constitutional Accountability Center to take a look at the aftermath of the uh, Brett Kavanaugh hearings as well. More news, more coming up. Your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Quick break. We'll be right back. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. And here we go on this Tuesday, September uh, 11. Uh, it's the Bill Press Show. This is uh, our home on Capitol Hill, uh, just down the street from the United States Capitol Building, where we uh, bring you up to date on the news of the day, thanks to the help today of the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers. Put all those together, and you get the smart union under the leadership of President Joseph Sellers. Good men and women of the smart worker of smart union giving a fair day's work for a fair day's pay every day. You bet. Check out their website at smart-union.org. Uh, and again, Elizabeth Widra joining us from the Constitutional Accountability Center uh, as soon as uh, she gets here through the uh, busy Washington traffic uh, this morning. Uh, you know, look, one drop of rain, Washington uh, just falls apart. One drop right. of rain, we fall apart. Five days of uninterrupted rain. Uh, it's th- chaos it, here. Yeah. It's complete chaos. Right. Uh, lots lots going on. One thing we haven't had a chance to talk about this morning is the uh, that John Bolton, as National Security Advisor, gave his first major speech yesterday, uh, and at which time he made an announcement. Um, we know that for decades, uh, the position of the United States and the Several presidents have broken their pick trying to bring about peace in the Middle East, peace between the Palestinian and the Israeli uh, Palestinian Authority and and the government of Israel, uh, or between the Palestinians and the Israelis, if you will, uh, and haven't, haven't succeeded. But the position of the United States through Democratic and Republican presidents has always been, we're the honest, independent broker that both sides trust and can bring both sides to the table. Uh, of course, um, Jimmy Carter may be making the most noble effort toward that, for the toward the Camp David agreements, but uh, President Clinton continued that. So did pre- first President Bush, second President Bush. Barack Obama tried. Uh, not Donald Trump. Donald Trump has decided, no, we're no longer be, going to be the honest independent broker in the middle. We're just going to take sides, and of course, taking the side of Israel he first did that when he did something that, again, every other president talked about doing, never did, 
moving our um, embassy, the American embassy, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. They had the big ceremony there where Ivanka and Jared flew over there. Uh, and uh, a, maybe a symbolic move, but a very um, a move fraught with meaning because rather than leaving the future of Jerusalem uh, to be decided by both sides as part of the final settlement, which was always the plan beforehand, they just said, no, we're sort of automatically moving our embassy here, in effect announcing that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, period. Well, a second thing, a second move yesterday, major move by John Bolton announcing in that speech that the United States is shutting down the Palestinian Authority or the PLO office here in Washington, D.C., because John Bolton says they haven't taken any steps to sit down at peace talks with Israel. Uh, Here is John Bolton yesterday. The Trump administration will not keep the office open when the Palestinians refuse to take steps to start direct and meaningful negotiations with Israel. The United States supports a direct and robust peace process. Uh, (laughs) Of course, this is something, by the way, same thing moving the embassy. Uh, Why did we do this yesterday? Because Benjamin Netanyahu asked Donald Trump to do it. This is this is another case of whatever BB wants, BB gets. Uh, and again, it takes us totally out of the role that we've always played, which is the one party in the middle that both sides can trust. Uh, and for for Bolton to proclaim that the Palestinians have wanted nothing to do with peace talks when Benjamin Netanyahu has personally scuttled any effort at peace talks for the last how long has he been prime minister? I don't know. What has he done about bringing both parties together? He even has, like, abandoned the two-state solution, which was first proposed by George W. Bush and something the United States has worked for for the last 10 years or so. So um, uh, uh, it's uh, it's a bad move. It's a dangerous move. And, uh, again, it, uh, it makes it harder to achieve peace in the Middle East, not easier. You know, you look at all the reporting. Donald Trump doesn't care. All the stories that were done about Barack Obama and Benjamin Netanyahu don't have a great relationship, blah, 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 blah. And really what it came down to— When, in fact, Barack Obama had given Israel yeah. as much, if not more, support well, than any other president. Well, that was the big thing. I mean, it, it, the, the real story there, the way that it should be reported is, look, Barack Obama didn't give Benjamin Netanyahu every single thing that he wanted unconditionally. That's the only, that's the only reason they really didn't get along. And neither did George W. Bush. And neither did George W. Bush. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so now you've got Donald Trump who is willing to do anything. Excuse horrible, unspeakable things that the Israeli people have done to the Palestinians. Horrible. And Donald Trump just doesn't care. And he's and they've effectively painted the Palestinians as the bad guys here. Right, right. You know, and not to excuse everything that we've seen in, in terms of the violence that's rained down on Israel at all, but again, our role as as the United States is to be the force, to be the 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 power that both sides trust to bring the parties together. That's always the role that we played. It is a role that we are playing no longer. Can I um, can I just jump in really quickly? Because uh, oh, he's tweeting. tweeting. He's oh, tweeting. My oh my. Yeah, he's tweeting. Uh, he, he's got a couple different tweets, yeah, but he did right. he did send out his uh, uh, commemorative tweet about nine eleven. 
he first of all says he's going to Shanksville, Pennsylvania today because there's the big uh, Flight 93 uh, mm-hmm. memorial that's going up there. Uh, but he also says Rudy Giuliani did a great job as mayor of NYC during the period of September 11th. His leadership, bravery, and skill must never be forgotten. Rudy is, all capital letters, a true warrior. <laughs> so there you go. Um, the the one thing that I brace myself for on this September 11 is um, I'm willing to remember the day and remember uh, certainly the, the um, p- people who were who lost their lives on that day. Um, I just don't want to hear Rudy Giuliani. Nope. No, ever again. Because no, the Rudy Giuliani that we see today is not the same Rudy Giuliani who did do an incredible job uh, as mayor of New York at that time. But today he's just this total nut job who's out there uh, defending Donald Trump every day. But let's forget that and move on to talk about something um, very much in the news of the day. And that is this is still pending confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh as the next justice on the Supreme Court. Uh, the hear, round of hearings last week, three days last week, uh, and now we're kind of waiting for the vote of the committee. Elizabeth Wydra is our go-to person on all things Supreme Court from the Constitutional Accountability Center. Thanks for braving the traffic this morning. <laughs> yes, always. <laughs> Hello, Elizabeth. You know, it's yes, always good to see you. You too. <laughs> yeah, bad day out there, huh? We were saying <clears throat> one day or a drop of rain I know. Drives us crazy. But three days of straight rain. Well, I have rain. to say the Potomac is already kind of a little over its bank, so I'm quite worried for how things will go this week. But we'll see. You know, when you talk about low-lying areas that could really be impacted, yeah, the Washington oh, waterfront. Yeah. yeah that's are. that's my report from Rock Creek Parkway this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Friday evening, Carol and I were on our, on our way back from a party in Georgetown. Rock Creek Parkway was closed because it was flooded. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Everyone be careful. And Hurricane Florence heading our way. Um, what was your take on the hearings last week? Did Democrats score any points? Did they change any votes? Um, I think they did score quite a few points. You know, uh, Brett Kavanaugh obviously came into the hearings prepared. Um, he's a smart guy. Um, you know, he has a lot of friends on the Hill. But I think they really scored some points, especially, you know, it's hard to make process arguments. Yes, Um, right. But I think they did a very good job in showing that, you know, we only have this tiny fraction of documents from his extensive career in Washington. And, you know, I think someone said he's like the Forrest Gump of the (laughs) Supreme Court bar. You know, he's been involved in these crucial political moments, the Ken Starr investigation of Bill Clinton, um, you know, the Guantanamo warrantless surveillance after September 11th, um, issues about whether to amend the Constitution to take away rights from LGBTQ Americans. You know, he's been at the center of a lot of these different political moments, and we don't have really those documents. We don't know what he thinks about, for example, the warrantless surveillance and detain, uh, detention uh-huh. after September 11th. <laughs> um, and questions of abortion obviously came through the yeah, George W. Yeah. Bush administration as well. And there's no good reason for the documents that they've been hiding. And the the few that were released by the committee, uh, Cory Booker in particular, as well as Maisie Hirono, those documents are embarrassing to Brett Kavanaugh, and they do reveal some of his views about particularly race-conscious programs intended to 
address systemic racism, um, as well as abortion, as well as uh, the warrantless surveillance programs after September 11th. And they don't have any reason to be withheld as confidential other than the fact that they're bad for the nominee. And that's not a reason. So if you can't vet the nominee properly, you know, then you should probably vote no if you're a senator. You should. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, but. It, but the question but, is, yes. <laughs> will they? Yeah, will they? Right. So I think the key senators to look at are uh, Senators Collins and Murkowski, who are the pro-choice Republicans in the Senate right now. And, you know, there is every reason to think that Brett Kavanaugh will be a vote against meaningful abortion rights. He was promised to be such by President Trump over and over and over, who in his campaign said, I have a litmus test, and it will be appointing justices who will o- vote to overturn Roe versus Wade. No doubt about it. He was very clear on that point. Very right? clear. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh's one abortion decision was related to this uh, young woman who was in federal det- immigration detention because she came here seeking asylum, and she wanted to, as a 17-year-old, get an abortion. She realized she was pregnant once she got to the United States met all of the requirements of Texas law, which are among the most stringent abortion regulations in the country. And Brett Kavanaugh still would have her wait even longer and maybe not even ever get Mm -hmm. to exercise her right to abortion, which she'd already met the state requirements. So, you know, his his sparse record on abortion makes it seem as if he is hostile to meaningful access to that right. And even he noted in his email that was released. I mentioned the famous email. Exactly. This was one of the ones that was withheld um, as Mm -hmm. confidential, which when you see it, there's absolutely no reason for that to be true. Um, And he says, you know, I don't think that scholars can scholars do think of Roe versus Wade as settled law because the Supreme Court could overturn it whenever they get five votes to do so. And he noted there were always already a number of votes on the Supreme Court to overturn Roe. And that has only grown And he would be the fifth vote to do that. So Collins and Murkowski really should think about whether they want to be the person who sends us back to back alley abortions where women die trying to make decisions about their own bodies. But Susan Collins said that when when uh, uh, Mr. Kavanaugh came to see her, that he kind of reassured her that he considered Roe v. Wade settled law. And then she said about this email, it doesn't seem to change anything, right? That he... I mean, honestly, I don't think you need the email to change anything either. But I think if she thinks it means he's going to respect Roe, she's absolutely deluding herself. Because settled law is only settled until five justices until five... on the Supreme Court unsettle right. it. Right, yeah. So that really means nothing. Also, he, you mentioned that, that Donald Trump made his promise that the, whoever I appoint will be a vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. Also, he came from a list, right, that was given to the White House by the Federalist Society? Yes. So he was added to that he list. Was, but he was added yeah. to the list, mm-hmm. right. But, but he even, wouldn't be on that list in the first place. That was my question. <laughs> he wouldn't be on or added were he not exactly clear, right? Right. Now, right. so then we get to the reason he was added for the list, at <laughs> least. I don't know whether anybody has proven that, but it's suspected he was added to the list because of his views on one particular issue. Right. So uh, Brett Kavanaugh, as part of his, uh, you know, uh, kind of the nerdy name for it is unitary executive theory, but his views on presidential power, he thinks or at least has suggested that a president should not be 
investigated civilly or criminally, despite what he did when he was working mm-hmm. for the Star investigation, or indicted while he's sitting in the White House. And obviously, everyone knows, President Trump included, that a lot of those issues about, you know, we could see a, a subpoena for President Trump's testimony, subpoena for documents, all the way leading up to a potential indictment of President Trump. So those issues could make their way to the Supreme Court. And I wouldn't be surprised if his staffers sold Trump on Kavanaugh by pointing out that he has these particular views. That yeah, that will come before the court. He's there. Donald Trump appoints them. Right. It's a question. So it's a clear, clear conflict of interest. Right. So I, I know John Dean testifying last week. It's interesting yeah, to powerful. see him come back. Very powerful testimony. And on this issue of the... The documents, he said, you know, why the only reason not to release them is because it, it looks they've got something to hide. And on this presidential power, he pointed out it really means that a president could get away with anything, including famously, as Donald Trump once said, walking out on Fifth Avenue and shooting somebody in the head. Right. Right. Yeah. If I he mean, did it as president, right. if you follow Brett Kavanaugh's thinking, if he did that as president, Nothing we could do about it. Well, at least while he's sitting in the White House. But, oh, right. you know, yeah. that does us a lot of good when he's running our country into the ground. I mean, it's a, it's a is he really asserting that the president is above the law and and he's supposedly an originalist? The, well, certainly the founding fathers didn't believe that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think they uh, envisioned a Congress who would not turn a blind eye to all of this rampant corruption um, and obstruction of justice. But but nonetheless, you know, the idea that you can't do anything to, um, you know, even investigate the president while he's in office. You know, Kavanaugh was, you know, I think would say, well, you can indict him and investigate him once he's out of office. But again, you know, there's no reason really in, you know, that that's clear why that has to be so, especially with respect to an investigation. And one thing, especially on this day that I thought was interesting that he said was that, you know, because clearly his views have changed from when he was in the star investigation of the Clinton White House. Which was all about investigating a president exactly. of the United States for <laughs> right. wrongdoing. Yeah. Yes. Um, so he said that September 11th really impacted his views on the presidency and presidential power. And while, you know, obviously that day changed the way a lot of us, you know, felt uh, in terms of our safety or, you know, really realizing our vulnerability and our place in the world, the idea that he would use this, that he would see this national security issue as somehow radically changing his views of executive power are concerning not just with respect to Trump, but with respect to Americans' privacy rights, um, with respect to, yeah, I mean, you know, even even as we saw last year uh, when the Supreme Court upheld the Trump Muslim travel ban, they did so in part because he just asserted this kind of vague national security reason. And so that concerns me quite, quite greatly that he that changed his views on constitutional limits on executive power. Yeah, I don't see the connection at all. I mean, right. sure, react with horror at what happened on September 11, but that doesn't mean throw the Constitution out exactly. the window. Exactly. I mean, that's when we, you know, in times of duress is when we, you know, our true principles are tested. And, and you know. Uh, you know, sadly, the Congress did that by, by 
right passing the for among others the authorization for the use of military force which is which is still in place right yeah so that you know when you think about especially the shift from justice kennedy who retired and created this opening for brett kavanaugh uh you know justice kennedy voted to end executive detention of Guant- people in Guantanamo without affording them due process. You know, he he was someone who was willing to say, even when you have this horror that you're reacting to, you still have to abide by the Constitution. If we shift from that to someone who, you know, saw September 11th as a reason to, um, you know, take off any limits on presidential, not any limits, but, you know, substantial limits on presidential power, that's a very big shift on the Supreme Court in a lot of ways. Right. There is talk. I know um, some Democrats are calling on uh, Leader Schumer to what, file a lawsuit against Kavanaugh for perjury or investigate him or I don't know how you how you bring that about. But <laughs> right. accuse so, him of committing perjury. How yes. so? So um, a complaint has been filed with the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, on which Brett Kavanaugh currently sits, um, uh, asserting that he was not truthful in some of his testimony. I think there were at least two instances that were brought up during the hearing. Senator Leahy, in particular, um, questioned him about his knowledge of some stolen stolen documents. So this Republican staffer had gotten into the files of Democratic Senate offices and were uh, had been feeding the White House with all of these, you know, Senator Leahy mm. said for verbatim questions that he was planning on asking. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, it, it appears from the documents, again, ones that were withheld as confidential, really, for no good reason other than that it's embarrassing for Kavanaugh. Yeah. Um, they seem to show that it was clear from the message to me, one of them had a subject line that was spying and said, we've got a mole. Um, so, you know, it, it does seem pretty clear. And, and Kavanaugh said he did not know about any of that until it mm-hmm. came out in the press. And then there's another instance where some of the senators claimed that um, when he had his D.C. Circuit hearing, he said that he was not involved in some of the war on terror policies that it that at least the senators claim he was. So those are two instances where they say he wasn't truthful in his testimony. Right. Um, for, among the Democrats, um, three of them, Cory Booker and Kamala Harris and Amy Klobuchar, uh, all three made some very, very strong points, mm-hmm. all three seen as a potential 2020 candidates. Which of them, which of the three of them do you think uh, scored the most? Yes. So I think I think in some ways the presidential contest, you know, yeah, people are always yeah. interested in that. But because yeah. I would add to that list, Maisie Hirono. Oh, Maisie Hirono was phenomenal. And Chris Coons, and, you know, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and Senator Blumenthal. So not everyone is running for president who really yeah. brought yeah. fire to that hearing. But right. I thought Kamala Harris, um, you know, was very tough on him appropriately. Um, you know, she definitely brought her former prosecutor skills mm-hmm. um, to the hearing and. Uh, Cory Booker also, I thought, made very good points about the nominee's views on affirmative action in particular and voting rights, because a lot of attention has been focused on the way that Kavanaugh could change abortion rights law. But he also could have a huge effect on issues related to racial justice and equality. Right. And so I was very pleased that Cory Booker brought that out so effectively. Spartacus. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, it was it was great that he stood up and said, I'm going to release some of these documents. And I, I know that it is against Senate rules. I know that I might be penalized for it, but I have to do it anyway for the good of the country. And everyone else said, you know, count me in, too, if he yeah, gets penalized. Right. It was great. When is the vote? Um, so uh, it should be, I think, uh, I think uh, early next week, I think, is right. I could be wrong about that. And then the floor vote will be later in the month. Right. So a committee vote would be, and it's uh, 21 members on the committee? Is yes. 11-10. 11-11-10. Right? Yeah. Uh, do you see any Republicans breaking ranks? Not yet. You said, Colin, but we have to watch Collins and Murkowski. Yeah, I don't see any committee Republicans. Committee